Inspiring stories, practical applications. Doing ministry well. If you found this podcast valuable and are looking for an easy way to support us, you can help us out by claiming your free audiobook and one-month free trial at audibletrial.com slash doingministrywell. That's audibletrial.com slash doingministrywell. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Doing Ministry Well. We are in Clarksville, Tennessee today, and I am joined by Blake Williams. Blake, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor to, to get to speak with you today. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Blake, I met you last year, um, kind of a- around this time. You were a student in our Red School, which is a ministry that I'm a part of, and uh, we got to know you through that, and then over this past year, we've got to hang out a little bit. And even more recently, I think just a week ago, we got to go grab dinner, our families together, and that was a really good time. And so I'm excited about this interview. Another cool thing is your dogs are my dog's (laughs) parent. Yes. So that's pretty cool. Um, Blake, tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now, just kind of in life and also in ministry. Well, I work full-time for a landscaping firm. I've been working in the landscaping industry for 15 years uh, here and there. Um, and so when I haven't been in full-time ministry, I've worked in the landscape industry. But right now, I do work full-time in the landscape industry. And, um, and also, uh, as far as ministry goes, um, our ministry life uh, these days looks quite a bit different than it has in the past when we've been in serving in vocational ministry. Uh, we currently just uh, are kind of taking a step back from that uh, for a little while, have been for the last couple of years, and um, just really taking the time to... to uh, uh, to reach out to a few uh, specific people in our life that we feel like that need uh, love and encouragement and mentoring and um, and those sort of things. And so we've just been pulling uh, people in our life that, that, that we can do that in. And it's been a, a real blessing to just be able to, to minister to people directly um, as opposed to working vocationally uh, during this, this season of our life. So mm-hmm. we're really enjoying that. That's awesome. Yeah, we were just talking right before the interview and you said that you're really focusing on five families and usually that just looks like connecting once every other week and usually just having them over for dinner. And as you said that, I was like, huh, you got to eat anyway, you know, like <laughs> yeah. why not just, you know, cook a little bit more food and invite somebody over. And, and Yeah, you know, we have we have a small little farm, five children and and um, and so we, we people love to come over and see the animals and and just to live life together, just to be together. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing. Uh, there's nothing spiritual about it. It didn't seem uh, to the you know, just as you as you kind of experience it, but we just like to live life with people and have them over, get to know them, um, let them get to know us, and that's just you know, spend time with them. Um, that's what we like to do, and and it's it's been a blessing on both sides, and, and to to see people open up to you like what they might not feel comfortable doing, you know, in a church building, mm-hmm. um, they they can just be more more vulnerable um, mm-hmm. and really allow you to to speak into their lives and to pray with them and to maybe discuss some things that are just hard to talk mm-hmm. about. And uh, so, yeah, we, we've, we're reaching out to, to five families, particularly right now. And then I, I mentor um, about uh, seven or eight guys uh, off and on as well who, who uh, just need someone to come alongside of them and to be a brother and to, to meet with regularly and talk about their relationship with the Lord and, and um, you know, disciplines and, and things like this or maybe a, a particular struggle that they're having in life. And so the, the situations vary, but uh, I, I just love having the opportunity to get to, to pour into these people's lives. Uh, and I think that's um, really what it's about. And I know it's, it's easy to forget about that sometimes when you're when you're working in vocational ministry, you know, um, and so we're we're grateful that, that we have that opportunity to open up our home and to to do that. Um, it's it's been a great couple of years doing yeah. that. 
that's awesome. And I've noticed just in the in the year I've known you that you really are a gatherer. You're always having people over to your home for different events, and you're opening up to you know large groups or small groups and stuff like that. So that's that's really awesome. Is that something that you've had to be really intentional about, or is that something that's just kind of always come naturally to you? Well, I think a little bit of both. I think that we've certainly had to be intentional about the specific people that we, I guess for the lack of a better term, targeted. Um, we, we just began to pray about the people that were in our life and just saw uh, specific needs that we felt like that we could add something to. So in that way, we were intentional to minister to these people, to, to put dates on the calendar and to, to get together with these people and love on them and encourage them and um, counsel them in some cases. Um, but but there is a part of it that comes uh, kind of natural to us because I feel like the Lord has given us a gift of hospitality and um, and so we've uh, my wife and I've been married for 14 years and we've always had people in our home whether or not it's living in our home for us to kind of help them through a season of their time uh, or a, a time uh, you know throughout their life that they just kind of need someone uh, or, or just having people in our home regularly has always been uh, something that we've just wanted to do. We, we just don't want our home to be just for us, but we want to invite people in. It, it just seems to make sense, um, you know, to have people there living life with you. So in that part, I think it's kind of natural, but it certainly requires us to, to make sure that we carve out enough time to, to think outside of our own family. Um, while our, our, our family time is really important to us, um, we, we have other time is available too. And, and we, we want to demonstrate to our kids, you know, that, Hey, it's, you, you know, you can take time and, and if you, if you schedule it out, you can really invest in people's lives. Um, if you're intentional about it. Hmm, that's good. Blake, uh, how long would you say you've been in, in ministry? Well, I, I mean, I got saved when I was 13 and oddly enough, I actually started preaching a month after I got saved, hmm. um, which was, which was a little bit out of the norm, but the Lord really uh, changed my heart, and I, I knew right away that I wanted to tell people about him, and I wanted to tell people about what he had done in my heart. It was a pretty, um, it was a pretty drastic salvation in some sense because I, my heart was really full of hate when I when I came to the Lord, and He transformed me in such a way that turned that hate upside down and just turned it on its head, and and filled my heart with a love for some people in my life that had really hurt me, and so I wanted to get out there and tell people from an early age at thirteen. So. Um, I'm 34 now, so I've, I've essentially been, you know, telling people about the Lord and what He's done in me and what He can do in them um, since I was 13. Hmm. So, um, so those are those are the years that I've participated in ministry in some way, uh, informally or formally, um, you know, since I was 13. Hmm. That's great. Uh, you mentioned kind of just the intentionalness with families and with with some guys. Is there anything else that you're doing in ministry? Uh, well, we. Uh, are helping with Red School a, a bit. We like to show up there. We're, we're not leaders there, but we, we certainly like to be there and be available. Um, you know, there's always a good opportunity at these discipleship uh, meetings uh, to where people, uh, they just, they have needs. And, and I love to go anywhere, whether or not it's a church on Sunday or a Red School or what, wherever it may be. I love to go uh, anywhere that there may be an opportunity to see a need and us to, to step in and mm. pray with those people and call upon the Lord to to fulfill those needs and to meet them where they're at. And so, so yeah, Red School would probably be the other thing um, that we're involved in and a ministry that maybe some folks might not label as a ministry, but uh, we certainly see it as a ministry because it's a daily effort is that we're caregivers for um, for a nine-month-old baby. Um, we work for um, for an organization called Jonah's Journey. And um, and so we're, we it's a ministry focused on um, caring for the child and also the mother. And, the, and, and um, in this case, and, and in most cases with Jonah's Journey, the mother's imprisoned. And, um, and then their child has nowhere to go. So we care for the child and we also visit the mother regularly. So 
So that takes a, quite a bit of our time, and, and you know, um, and I definitely, um, you know, put that in the ministry category, if you will, yeah, uh, sure. because uh, it's a daily ministry to to our, our ch- the, to the child uh, to just love her and to care for her needs, her basic needs, and then it's a very intentional ministry to to, to show up to a prison uh, weekly or biweekly to to let her see her child and and to to just encourage her and and um, to tell her about the Lord, essentially, um, and so. So yeah, that that's that's a big part of our life. That that really consumes a, a, a bigger chunk of our life than I guess um, than than we really uh, thought it might. But uh, but it's a worthwhile venture. Uh, but ultimately, it comes down to we get the opportunity to love on a child that wouldn't have anywhere to go. You know, so um, we we it, we count it a great blessing that the Lord allows us to open up our home and add a fifth child to our four biological children. Um, it's you know our our children are a ministry. Uh, as well, and sometimes we lose sight of that, but our, our, the child that's in our home reminds us daily that our children, all of our children, are, are our first ministry. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm just amazed at, I mean, what you're saying you're doing throughout your week, throughout your day, throughout your month. Um, I mean, how many hours are you putting in working landscaping? Well, I just work 40 hours. So I've, got, I've got a very good job uh, with a company I work for, so it's pretty much limited to uh, to 40 hours. I, I, I'm a regional salesman for the company I work for, so I travel, and every once in a while I have to stay in a hotel, you know, about 40 to 50 nights uh, a year, um, which is not a whole lot when you spread it over the year. Uh, so 40 hours a week, and then, the you know, the evenings we try to limit ministry time or, or, or time outside of family and work. Uh, we try to limit those those meetings with, uh, with, the, with the guys that I meet with and the families. We try to limit that to one night a week, one week night, um, you know, and then, uh, and then on the weekend um, we'll, we'll have one, one family over. So that's kind of our rule of thumb in our home. Um, otherwise, you know, we, that means that we have to say no sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. Um, sometimes there's things that may appear like crisis or it may appear urgent, but, you know, it probably could be put off to next week, you know, mm-hmm. that conversation, let things settle down. So we, we set the standard for one, one weeknight and one, uh, one family per weekend so that we could focus on our family and, and spend time together, too. And so, like I was saying, it, that, that means that sometimes you say no when, when uh, folks call on you. And, uh, you know, you just briefly talk to them on the phone and then schedule them for the next week. And so we found that that's important for, for our family health, uh, because if we say yes every time, uh, you know, our family really begins to struggle and we begin to feel disconnected ourselves. And, and, and so that's kind of how we, how we manage it. Hmm. That's good. All right, Blake, what's been the highlight in all of your time in ministry? Is there something that just pops into your mind as this is the highlight? You know, oddly enough, I'd say it's it's learning how to love people. For for a long time, I, I did ministry in all the wrong ways. Um, it was it was about uh, you know academics when it comes to scripture. You know about learning knowledge or and teaching well and and those sort of things. Um, but learning how to love people um, and learning you know learning to be content in that is is so been so crucial for me because I spent many very hard years um, kind of feeling like I was spinning my wheels. Um, mm-hmm. And it was really, I think, that I, I just uh, lost sight of, of uh, you know, uh, of my my place, I guess, or my position with the Lord. Is that you know, I, I don't have to spin my wheels. It's not my my efforts that necessarily is what produces uh, the good things that He does in people's lives, and um, entirely, I should say. And so, so I think that learning to love people and just to to allow the Lord to pour His love through me into their lives has been the highlight of ministry for me. And it's taken me many years and many many moments of stubbornness to really get that. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's so evident through Scripture, and I've probably taught it on numerous occasions and didn't really believe it or didn't really 
hold on to it. But, you know, if we do all of these things, as Paul says, and, and we don't love, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day. And so learning how to do that and kind of um, getting outside of myself and and the way I think sh- things should be or how I should should uh, meet the needs of people um, uh, through loving them, uh, just, just what it comes down to for me. So that's been a real highlight for us, you know, because when you truly see people's needs and you meet those needs out of love for them and compassion for them, um, it just means so much more. It has There's so much more power there. I mean, they're experiencing the... Um, uh, who who the who God really is? They're experiencing the love of Christ. They're experiencing His character and His goodness. But when uh, for so many years I felt like I did it just out of what I had, and I just didn't have much to offer. Mm-hmm. And so I I would come up in, empty-handed, or I would get blank looks from people. You know, when I would teach or preach or counsel or whatever, mentor. Um, There's a lot of uh, dead relationships happen. A lot of bridges burned, if you will, um, missed opportunities because uh, I was doing things without love. So. It's been a real highlight for the Lord to teach me, and it's taken him longer than probably what it had to, but uh, he's taught me that that love is the center of of ministry, and that's been been a real highlight for me. A hard one, but a a good one. Is there a specific story that you can think of um, about, like, loving someone through God's love that really, you know, this this is the time that I really knew that I was doing this well? Yeah, I think it would just be recently in the last couple of years. You know, we talked about the relationships that the Lord has, has given us um, with these families and these guys. I, I've, I've had similar relationships in the past when I was, uh, what I would say, doing ministry the wrong way. <laughs> and, um, and many of the things that I'm doing uh, now are the same type things that I was doing then. But now uh, what makes it so different is, is that I have a genuine um, <laughs> compassion for these people. I, I really care about seeing them grow in the Lord to, 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 be, to become disciples, to be followers of Christ, who know what He looks like and how they can look the same way and, and live their lives in, a, in an intimate relationship with Him. And so, you know, I, a specific story, no. I mean, I know that we've, we've had an opportunity, uh, you know, to bring people into our home, even from out of state, who just needed to, like, get away from mm-hmm. their current situation. Like, their current situation just didn't feel like it was ever going to get any better, and they needed a new start in life. And so the Lord's blessed us with the means and the resources to be able to to open up our home and say hey come here you know take a break get a breather and then uh, let's start a new season of your life and so there's been a couple of relationships like that um, uh, that you know I won't go into detail about here but but it's just in general the Lord has given those opportunities and that has been a blessing um, because you you're so close to people it's not a distant relationship it's not one that lacks in love and and transparency and uh, sincerity and authenticity it's one that is that is it's 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 deep rooted in relationship and and I, I feel like that in the past uh, you know the way I used to think about ministry uh, it, it wasn't about relationship it was just about showing up to a building it was about teaching well and those sort of things and uh, and you just kind of pass by people and shook their hands uh, so we very much value um, having strong, intimate mm. relationships with people uh, in the body of Christ, mm. and so yeah, that's 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 been big for us to mm. learn that to to learn it the hard way sometimes, but to learn it ultimately. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to ask this next question, and it might roll into our next question, but it might not. Uh, the next question is what's what's been your biggest struggle in ministry, and how did you overcome it? But my question before that is, you went from professional vocational ministry. I'm not sure if you shared that or not in, in this interview. I know that from talking to you before, but mm-hmm. you, you pastored uh, for a while. And how, how has it 
how's that transition been from going to vocational ministry, getting paid to do ministry, having a title, and then going to, you know, a 40-hour-a-week work place, you know what I mean, not having the title, but still doing ministry? What has that transition been like? Yeah, I think I've hit on a little bit, I, you know, but I, I, it's a good question because I think the biggest struggle has been realizing that this is not about me. I mean, just to be honest, I... I uh, there, I spent a lot of years. Uh, my struggle was is is, and I didn't really know it at the time. I would have thought that I was humble at the time. I would have thought that I was genuine, um, but looking back, I realized that um, that it was a false humility. That that was a struggle for me. It was a it was it was a it was about my glory and not glorifying the Lord. It was a, it was about me me working really hard, and then if I succeeded, then I was very proud. You know, proud. I was very prideful. Uh, if I worked really hard and then I failed, then I experienced shame. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a constant struggle that I've had to learn in the hard way is that this isn't about me. You know, we, we, we do things, we do good works um, out of obedience because we love the Lord, because there are needs out there that the Lord wants to reach out to and fulfill. Um, but if we do that with our own efforts and thinking that we've got, you know, just something grand to offer within ourselves, um, that, that's a real struggle. Uh, the the type of struggle that that leaves you in a pretty dark place and mm. um, when those when you fail um, and and I did often uh, failed in relationships failed in ministry um, you know failed personally and um, and just really like I said earlier spinning my wheels and just really uh, just struggling through that and uh, you know so so now um, what ministry looks like for us now is just so much more simple and it just seems to be like the heart of what it's supposed to be about. Um, you know, working full time uh, is a challenge sometimes uh, because I would love to spend every day, you know, from the time I get up until, you know, until the close of business, if you will. I'd love to do just be ministering to other people, right. and and sometimes I feel that strain, um, having been in vocational ministry, um, and having that opportunity, and and then having to kind of part your your energies and your efforts, uh, kind of dividing those up between. Uh, secular work and and uh, ministry work um, is is a challenge sometimes, but but I, I it's a it's a really beautiful season to be in that we're in right now because we're learning to that you can minister right where you're at with with the resources that you have and still maintain a job, um, you know for this this time um, it, it is possible and it's teaching me how to uh, how to minister to people in very different ways. You know, it's, it's like I said earlier, it's about relationships. And so just because I go to work for 40 hours doesn't mean that I don't have relationships at that job mm. of people that need to hear about Jesus, of, of people that know Jesus that need to hear more about Jesus mm. and how to, how to follow him. And so um, in the past, I've really struggled with being a Christian at work. And, you know, this last few years, the Lord's taught me that, you know, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm his child uh, you know, 24 to seven. <laughs> and so when I'm at work, I try to tell people about the Lord. I try to talk to them and I've had a lot of opportunities to do that. But then outside of work, I mean, there's time, there's, there's opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. Um, the Lord, the Lord doesn't waste anything. Um, and, and when he gives us gifts, you know, gifts to counsel people or to, to speak wisdom into their life or just to love them and to be there for them and to be hospitable to them. Um, he doesn't waste it because he, it's, it's, it's an opportunity for us to look around, to see who is in our lives and see who we could be allowing the Lord to use those gifts to be a blessing to them and essentially to grow them closer to him. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, I just I love it because I see, you know, there's usually one pastor per hundred people, you know, in a church. And just like that one pastor is not going to be able to connect with those hundred people. So I just right. love that you've taken the initiative, you know, to look around 
and you know help the pastor of your church out by you know meeting with people and just taking that initiative and and yeah that's awesome i mean that's that's what we want to be seeing is you know everyday believers becoming everyday missionaries you know, yeah that's... yeah I, I as a as having been a pastor you know of, of of a smaller group when i was a senior pastor i was it was only 50 to 75 people there at any given time but even that amount of people and their extensions their their family members that they often pulled you into to do funerals or weddings and the opportunities that you got you know it might be a hundred people <coughs> at the end, you know when it's all said and done but ultimately uh, you can't do it and and if they're not if they're not people in the body um because we're all ministers if there's not people in the body to to minister to to the needs of the body um it, there's a lot of people goes without their needs being mm-hmm. met you know and uh so one man five men even can't do it and i've learned uh, that if i can keep a uh, you know maybe a dozen people in my life that i really commit to that i can do that well i can do ministry well to to about a dozen people hmm. when i get to 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 like most pastors have or 200 um, it, it really begins hard to, to, to actually spend time with them and hmm. to get to know them, to be, to be close with them, to be connected. Um, it's just uh, you know, conversations in passing, and they never get below the surface. And so it's a real privilege to get to, to really get deeper with people, to, hmm. to be able to dive into what life's really like for them. And, and sometimes it's really easy stuff. It, it, it seems easy once you actually have the right context to talk about it. It's very easy life circumstances, but it seems hard to them because they're in and alone. But when you are close with people and you, and you open up your heart to people and spend time with them, um, it gives you the opportunity to really um, help them with those very practical things in life and to pray with them and uh, uh, just be there for them. And, and so it, I think that it's what the community of Christ probably should be like. You know, If, if, if um, there were several people in the body throughout, throughout the, the church, the, the, the big church, there are several people throughout all those small bodies um, Stepping in and doing that, I think it would it would change the way Christianity as we know it, you know, as followers of Christ look, and so I, I think that that's something that may be missing from from our understanding of ministry. Um, it's a common misperception that you know the pastor, the staff members, they're the ministers, but uh, we we show up, you know, and and we'll, we'll we'll go on a mission trip or we'll do this or that to minister. But man, there's so much opportunity. There's such a privilege to get to just minister to the people around you. Mm-hmm. And uh, from being a pastor, I, I remember of, uh, observing people in the body who I thought, you know, I'll never have a really good opportunity to minister to that guy or mm-hmm. that, that, that woman. Uh, but that guy over there knows them really well. Mm-hmm. And if they would, uh, you know, if they could, if they could really uh, spend some time with them and was very intentional to love on them and encourage them and teach them, um, uh, they could reach them far better than I ever could, hmm. you know. So I think that that type of mentality begins to revolutionize, if you will, if I can use that strong of a term, um, what it's like to be a community of Christ. Hmm. So, so good, so good. So on the flip side of this, what's been your biggest struggle in ministry, and how did you overcome that? Well, yeah, my biggest struggle is just figuring out how to love people. <laughs> I know I keep bringing that up, but just how, how do you love people? How do you how do you do things? Um, when it's not about you it's about honoring the Lord um, it's about honoring other people as well um, and so my struggle has been getting outside of myself mm-hmm. um, you know it's just it's just not about me uh, and uh, the Lord honors me and the things that, that I get to, to do in ministry uh, certainly but when I try to honor myself um, uh, that, that's, that's when I, I, I get in this lofty place and I've been there I've been in a very lofty place and, and been brought down from that um, 
in a very hard way. And uh, so it's it's been a big struggle to just um, just humble myself and and to to really to really recognize. And I'll talk about this a little later. Um, I think, but to to really recognize that my identity is first as a child of God, right. and and I spent many many years identifying as something else, right. identifying as as multiple things related to 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 the stereotypes of ministry. Right. You know what you do as a minister, as a positional minister, um, and uh, so that's been a real struggle for me is is not being content um, with just knowing the Lord and that being enough. Right. You know, with just being His child, I'm, I'm His little boy first. And um, if everything else goes away, that's always exists for eternity. He's mm. he's he's redeemed me. He's made me his. I've been reborn, and that's enough. Mm. You know, just get, being able to get up and, and talk with him and, and spend time with him to learn from him to hear from him is it, that's all that really matters. And then out out of that, what flows out of that is that ministry flows mm. out of it. But for many years, a big struggle of mine was um, was not having that relationship with the Lord, not really. Um, kind of being uh, seated in the right seat uh, of being a child of God first. I was seated in the preacher seat or the teacher seat or the pastor seat or all those. And I was in the, all those, wearing all those hats and sitting in those seats, if you will. Uh, but I just completely lost sight of being a child of God. So good. It reminds me, I think I, I, I mentioned this when we, when we got dinner the other week too, but I, I remember going to a uh, uh, the Gospel Coalition Pastors Conference in Hawaii, and, and one of the pastors was talking about how amazing community was happening at his church, but he was so burnt out after his Sunday service that he didn't want to go and meet with any of these people, and he was really questioning, like, this is what I've been preaching for, this is what I've been hoping for, you know, community, why don't I want to be a part of this community? And he realized that he always had to think he had to have his pastor's face on, and that was exhausting for him, you know. And so you're talking about that that very thing, like when we sit and we realize our identity as sons, you know, of God, and not you know the pastor hat that we have to wear, the ministry hat, that we can be vulnerable with people, and the gospel really is the clearing field for that. You know, the gospel shows us that we're all in need of a of a savior. You know, so that vulnerability allows us to be free in our communities right so that's yeah i can can remember one of the hardest times uh, in ministry was when i was senior pastor for two years in a small church and i remember feeling like i was pouring everything i could into this body i was preaching my heart out you know i was studying hard i wanted to i wanted to teach well um that was important to me at the time and it still is but it shouldn't be as important as it was to me then but i remember feeling like that i had to hold back on transparency like if, if if people knew you know, that I was um, essentially just like them, that I was struggling with the same things that they were struggling with, you know, that I had failed in the same ways that they failed in when it came in regards to sin, or, or if I just, you know, some days I have bad days, or, you know, people know this in theory, but I think it's it's easy for us to look to the path, pastor and put him up on a pedestal and to think that he's he's at a higher level, that he's he's more spiritual, and, and maybe in some sense he is, maybe just because he, you know, he spends more time with the Lord or whatever, but ultimately he's a child of God, and the person in the body is a child of God, and we have the same position in Christ. Hmm. And, um, and just the, the, the guy in front has an opportunity to teach, and he's, he's, he's worthy of, of double honor, as Scripture says. But, um, but I, I just remember feeling like so disengaged from people because I wasn't willing to be transparent. Hmm. And I think that's what the Lord has, has changed in, in mine and Alicia's uh, life, my wife, is that, is that it is about relationships. It's about being vulnerable. And I've seen a significant turn in, in the power of, of ministry 
when we just opened up and we just kind of laid out all the cards on the table and said, this is who we are. And then they said, this is who we are. Yeah. And then we began to live life together yeah. with, with everything on the table. And um, they knew our needs and we knew their needs and we, knew, we realized that we could be there for each other. And so it feels like a community rather than a hierarchy, yeah. if you will. And, and I think that it's a big mistake to, to view the, the church as a hierarchy, you know, uh, uh, because we're all believers and we're all the children of God that are just trying to get through life. And um, so vulnerability is a huge piece yeah. that has, has really changed ministry for us. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's so good to hear that you're the one initiating that, you know what I mean? You, you've realized that this is an important part for, for transparent community, for good community, for healthy community, but it has to be modeled because it's just, it's not, it's not a part of our Christian communities at all to be transparent, to be vulnerable. And so it's awesome that you're taking the initiative to say like, Hey, this is who we are. And then that, you know, lets everybody's walls down to be like, Oh, I can, I can be myself here, you know? So that's really awesome. We'll be right back, and Blake's going to share with us three practical tips to doing ministry well. If you haven't checked out the new doingministrywell.com website, check it out. We chose Swissco to do our overhaul and are so happy with the results. Swissco makes ministry websites beautiful and hassle-free. Schedule a free consultation today at swissco.us. Hi, this is Brian Ensminger. If you enjoyed doing ministry well, we'd really appreciate it if you'd check out the Engaging Missions show, where we deliver God's stories to your earbuds. You can find us at engagingmissions.com. All right, and we're back, doing ministry well. Uh, We're here with Blake Williams, and he's going to share with us three tips to doing ministry well. Blake, what are three practical tips to doing ministry well? Well, um, uh, one would be to to live in the light. and um, I've learned this in the, in the past that this living in the light is crucial. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk a bit about that. But uh, number two, I think, would be the second thing would be to honor all people. Um, and then uh, a third tip that, that uh, you know, I, I think that maybe is overlooked in our culture is, is to keep your identity hidden in Christ. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, let's talk about that first one, living in the light. What does that, what does that mean? Unpack that a little bit for us. Well, you know, living in the light is, is, is I think, a forgotten discipline. Um, you know, James talks about confessing your sins one to another, you know, that it's beneficial to you, it's good for you. And it's all in the context of, of ministry, like body ministry in that, in that particular chapter. In James chapter 5, I think it is, uh, you know, he, he, just, he just kind of couches this confess your sins one to another and all of these things about ministry, about healing and all, all these mm-hmm. other kind of things. Uh, that, that we commonly accept as, hey, yeah, we need to do that ministry. But confessing your sins is, I think, um, very overlooked. I, I call it a forgotten discipline because I think it truly is a discipline. I think it's, a, it's an act of obedience. I mean, Scripture says, you know, confess your sins one to another. Uh, but it's not said a lot, and that's the thing. You know, there's, there's you know, first, uh, John said in First John 1, 9 that we confess our sins, uh, that, that He, being the Lord, is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a lot of passages about that. but And so I think with that living in the light is different and for me, and, and I think it could be for everyone in the body of Christ, is that it's living in the light is not just about going to the Lord when you mess up, uh, when, you, when you inevitably struggle with sin as a child of God, um, it's, it's not just about going to the Lord and saying, Lord, uh, you know, forgive me, and Lord, I repent. You know, you, you need to do that. You need to go before the Lord. You need to, to return to Him when you've kind of slipped into the darkness, if you will. 
But I think what's lacking in ministry, not just for ministers, not for positional ministers, but people in the body in general, and I think if ministers demonstrated this, uh, uh, gave an example of this, that the body would begin to follow suit in many ways. But, but you know, you, beyond talking to the Lord, going, returning to the Lord, I think the forgotten discipline is is that we, we can find people in our lives that we trust, that we have a good relationship with, that we know that we can be vulnerable with, and it will be kept confidential. It will be kept, you know, between you two. And I think that more than one person in our life, I think if we all thought for just a moment about the people that we go to church with or the people that we know in our life that maybe we don't go to church with that we consider close to, that if we were to open up our, our minds and our hearts for a moment and just said, you know, there are some things in my life that I don't talk to anybody about. And it may not be sin, but most of the time it is. Mm-hmm. It may just be struggle. It may be anxiety. It may just be stress or worry, which sometimes can be sin. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it could just be uh, trying to figure out financial things, uh, trying to figure out marriage, trying to figure out intimacy in marriage. You know, uh, There's a variety of things that um, we just don't talk about. Mm-hmm. There, you know, I think you could sit down and create a list of things that we don't live in the light with. Mm-hmm. We just keep in the dark. And that doesn't necessarily always point to the darkness of sin, but we hide it. We sweep it under the rug. We kind of put it in a box and we say, these are the things that I'm going to try to deal with on my own. Um, and, and the result of that is being feeling very alone. Uh, you feel just isolated. You feel like you, when it comes to that part of your life, you feel like you're on an island. And when that happens, um, when we put ourselves in that position to, to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in the darkness with these, these things instead of living in the light, when that happens, um, the enemy uh, begins to convince us that, um, that we, we can't overcome in those areas, that we, we can't have victory, that, we, uh, that we're just going to fail. We're just going to keep struggling with finances or with sin or, or with our marriage, um, or with, with our, our parenting or our friendships or whatever. Um, He'll convince us if we're alone that we're going to fail, and uh, and and he'll put us out on that island, and we'll just be there and feel like failures, and and there'll never be any growth in those areas. But when we live in the light, um, in general, when we live in the light, uh, as as ministers, as as just you know, children of God, it begins to what what happens is is that when we confess these things, as James implies that. When we confess these things, it gets them out on the table. And sometimes just by the very act of sharing with another person, this is what I'm struggling with. Sometimes, I've seen this many times, there's already victory in it just by talking about it. It's like it's, it doesn't carry the weight that it carried before. It was magnified before. It's like this big mountain, and now it's like this little molehill because you've just gotten it out, and you've said, you know, wow, this is not as bad as I thought, but it's still an issue for me to work through. You know, but one of the very specific things in my life and, and, and throughout ministry has been not living in the light with sin. Um, you know, there's, we could talk about a lot of the other things that I kind of mentioned earlier, but, but I want to really focus in on, on sin. Um, I think that we don't have a culture in America um, specifically of talking about sin. Um, there seems to be this, uh, this stigma about sin that, you know, we get saved, and so um, so we're reborn into as new creations. We're children of God. We before we were children of darkness, but now we're children of God. And there's this. I think that many people, not not all people, but many people, have drawn this conclusion that we uh, that of course we all sin, but not everyone sins the way I do, and or not you know not everyone struggles with this or that. And so there's this illusion among the body of Christ in general that that. Uh, you know that we just need to to go through our lives without talking about sin to anyone. Um, unfortunately, the reason why I think this is the case is because 
um, when people do talk about sin, they're not honored in that. And we're going to talk about honoring all people in a minute, but they're not honored by that. They're, you know, when people reveal sin in their life, they're off, often condemned or uh, accused or uh, you know just shamed. Um, you know, there's 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 unnecessary discipline uh, or or this sense of oh you've done wrong, you deserve to be punished. Um, when when in God's eyes we we are unpunishable. <laughs> I mean, what Christ has accomplished on the cross means that we there's no punishment for us. It's, yeah. There's none coming our way. We are unpunishable. The, all the punishment has been placed upon Him. And so when you begin to recognize that who you are in Christ means that your, your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. It's done. It's finished. When He said He's finished on the cross, it was a powerful statement about who you could be in Christ, yeah. who you could be in Him. Your sin has been defeated. You're forgiven. And so... To, to live life thinking that you got to hide sin is really a nasty trick of the devil okay. uh, because he's convinced us to li- live in the darkness, to walk in the darkness. Even though we could go to scriptures, and you may have even thought of it just as I said, walk in the darkness, you know that, pa- that scripture talks about not walking in the darkness, but yet we do. And so I think practically speaking, what this looks like is to live in the light. In Ephesians 5, I encourage you to read that. It's, it's, it's all about living in the light. Uh, but to live in the light, it means to find people in your life that you trust. And it doesn't have to be your pastor. It doesn't have to be a staff member at your church. It doesn't even have to be a professional counselor or anything. It can be. But maybe there's just a really good girlfriend or a, or, or, or a guy that you trust, you know, for, for you guys. A guy that you just, you know, play golf with or whatever. Someone that you know uh, uh, loves the Lord, who knows the Lord, who's a child of God, that you know you can trust. And begin to open up and say, you know what? There are things in my life that I trust talking to this person about, and they don't have to be. They don't have to have all the right answers. It's about confession, and and really in scripture the word confession literally means to agree, hmm. um, and, and it's kind of mis, mistranslated in a few occasions, especially in in First John one nine. Uh, you know when it says if we confess our sins, the the, the it could be translated as agree. So when we see uh, when we sin, say for example, um, with a sexual sin like pornography, which is a, a a common sin among among men in the church that are that's being covered up in the darkness, it's being swept under the rug, it's not being talked about so often. When we participate and view in pornography, um, we we are and then and then we feel this this sense of shame and guilt, uh, which is a natural um, feeling that we experience. Our, our response is just to just to hide it, delete the the browser history. You know, don't talk to our wife because it's going to hurt her. Uh, don't talk to our friend because he's probably dealing with the same thing and he has no answers for me. Uh, or, or or if he's not dealing with the same things, he's just going to judge me and uh, you know those sort of things. So we we rationalize all these things and it's just lies from the enemy. But but to to agree, what that means is is that when we see sin in our life and God is always revealing it, He loves us so much that He disciplines us. Mm-hmm. Um, scripture says that you know, like your like your father in, on earth, he disciplines you because he loves you, okay. and that's the same way with your father in heaven. You're his little boy, you're his little girl, and he's going to come to your rescue. And discipline does not equal punishment. Discipline is like a sheep trying to run off a cliff, and the shepherd comes over and protects them from running off the cliff. When you when you participate in sin willingly or unwillingly, or you just kind of fall into something or slip into something, when you do that. And the Lord reveals that to you, and He's always doing that for discipline's sake. When He reveals that to you, our response should be, yes, I agree that that just happened. Yes, Lord, I agree that I, that I sinned. 
but it's not in the sense of, of, of us groveling back to the Lord and crawling and saying, oh, Lord, forgive me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I think that's a common misperception. Um, when John was saying, if we confess that he would forgive us, he'd be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse from all unrighteousness, uh, what that really means to me is that if we were to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I agree that that sin's here, and I know that you're forgiving me, past, present, and future, it's forgiven, and I know you're faithful and you're just. And the reason why God can be just and forgiven sin when we come into the light with it is because he's already paid for it. You know, it, it, the blood of Christ covers it all. And so to, to say that we, that we can't live in the light because of fear, which is the opposite of love, which he's poured out, he's lavished upon us, is, it's just a lie from the enemy. So when we begin to practically uh, put this into our life, how do you live in the light? Well, you start coming into the light. Yeah. There, are, there are areas of all of our lives, none of us are exempt. There are areas of our life where we are living in darkness. We're hiding a sin, we're hiding a struggle. And so when that happens, you just come into the light with it. You find people in your life that you can talk to, be vulnerable with, and um, at the risk of them um, you know, maybe not responding well. Uh, you know, every relationship's not going to work. You do it at that risk. Um, but you know, I would encourage all of you to um, to to talk with these people that are in your life that you trust, and just say, "Hey, this is kind of what I want our relationship to be like. Are you okay with that?" Kind of set the stage for it. Mm-hmm. And that way, when things do happen in life, we're not alone in the dark because it's scary in the dark. We experience fear in the dark. We experience defeat in the dark. And the Lord never intended us to live in the dark in any way. He is light. He is love and he is light. That's the scripture says that. God is love. God is light. And so when we have something in our life that is in the dark, then God is not involved in that. He is not a part of that. That's not him. And so it really is just as simple as being willing to talk about things that we struggle with in life. And I think that this is missing significantly from the church. I... um, I just feel like that um, it could be just as simple as just people beginning to realize, just look at the scripture and realize what it means practically to actually live in the light. So I know for me personally, it's changed me drastically. I'll share just a a brief story with you. Um, For many years, I I, I lived in the darkness. I was in ministry, as I mentioned before, and, you know, it's kind of the season of my life where where I was, um, as I would say, doing ministry wrong. I didn't love people, didn't have compassion, as I mentioned earlier. And so part of that reason was is because I was living in the darkness yeah. with so much of my life. I was just, I was just full of darkness. I, was, I remember thinking to myself, I was, I was a, a youth pastor at the time. I remember telling my wife one time, I remember saying, how can a person's heart be so full of evil? And that was me I was talking about. And I was the guy that was preparing every week to teach teenagers. I was preaching in other churches, preaching in my own church. I was, I was counseling and mentoring several people, uh, kind of similar to what I'm doing now in some ways. But I was living in the darkness in many, in many areas of my life. And for me, one of those areas was sexual sin. Um, I, I found myself um, you know, uh, pursuing uh, opportunities for sexual sin in ways that, that, that we would look at, at people that don't know the Lord and just think that that's so perverse and just unspeakable. You just don't talk about that. And it, and it started with pornography. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, was, I was introduced to, to pornography from an early age, from, from 10 years old. And it was something that was always a part of my life. And, 
And as I would, as I went through my teen years, uh, I would talk to youth pastors and other leaders, and they they would admit, yeah, I struggled with that too. And they, sometimes they would open up, or, or they would just say, oh, I don't want to talk about that, you know. And whatever the case may be, I realized that a lot of people were struggling with pornography, mm-hmm. but no one was teaching me how to overcome it. No one was teaching me that I that that Jesus has already overcome it. No one ever told me that that He's already overcome this sin, and I just have to receive mm-hmm. the victory that He has. And so, yeah, I'm still going to have the desire to, to, to fail in the area of sexual sin. Uh, but uh, and so for so long, I identified myself with what my temptations were. Hmm. And I still struggle with that at times. If I'm tempted to view pornography, um, that doesn't mean that I'm a, a pervert. It just means that I, I'm human. I live in a fallen world. But my true identity is a child of God. And I don't need that any longer. I'm set free in regards to sin. Uh, I'm no longer a slave to sin. And just like Paul talks in, in, in Romans 6, we are free in regards to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We no longer call it our master and do what it tells us to do. <coughs> but we are slaves to righteousness. The, the righteousness of Christ has been placed upon us. And so when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And so when we, when we sin, when we are tempted, we don't identify as, as what that sin is or what that temptation leads to. Uh, we identify as children of God who don't have to live in the darkness. But inevitably, we're going to sin. And so for me, when I did sin, I would just keep in the darkness. And I tell you what happens is that when we keep things in the darkness and we don't live in the light, what happens is that the sin grows and it gets bigger, it gets stronger. And, uh, and, and, and so therefore, our, our relationship with the Lord begins to really wane. It really begins to be, it, it gets whittled down to nothing. Our relationships begin to be corroded. Our life is full of deception. Uh, my life was. I was lying to my wife. I was lying to my friends. And, you know, I was, I was going places that I should have never been, never even considered going. And, and the sin in my life gained more strength, more power day by day because it lived in the darkness, because I lived in the darkness with that. And so I know that, you know, we've all, we've all got a story about a pastor that we know or a famous pastor who has fallen hard because of sexual sin. And, and, you know, there's a part of us that are kind of drawn to those stories for some reason. But the reality is, is there are so many more pastors out there, so many more people in ministry that are struggling and aren't talking about it and haven't been caught. You know, it's an awful thing to be caught and then to fall really hard and maybe to never really even get to ministry again in many circles. Um, but I think the reason why that's happening is because somehow, somewhere along the way, we've convinced ourselves that living in the light is not the right way that we, I remember my wife and I telling ourselves, you know, if we tell someone about this, it's not going to go good. Mm. And, and, um, so we can figure this out. And after many years of confessions to her personally and us trying to do it on our own, we finally realized that the Lord finally got it through to us that what scriptures taught all along, what's been there in front of us all along is that to live in the light is a powerful thing. Uh, there's victory there. There's hope there. There's, there's, there's accountability there. Uh, there's love there. There's no reason to feel like you're going to be condemned mm-hmm. by the Lord. The Lord's arms are wide open. And not every person that you have in your life, not all of their arms are going to be wide open when you confess sin. But that, that should not stop us from living in the light because at the end of the day, um, our lives are going to be um, in a very dark place if we keep little things in the dark. They'll grow and be monsters before it's over with. So living in the light has been a big part. Uh, it's something I'm very passionate about. Um, and uh, I just I can't stress enough how 
much it's changed my life. And so these days, uh, you know, after coming through several years of being in ministry and living in sexual sin and other things too, um, what what life looks like today is beautiful. It, it's it's freedom. It's 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 freedom. You know, if I if I'm tempted or I struggle in in, in life um, with whatever the case may be. I talk to somebody about it. I talk to my wife about it. I'm transparent with her. When things are too heavy for me to talk to my wife, I have friends in my life that I can go to and say, hey, man, I'm struggling with this. And um, and it, it, it brings about a sense of humility. It, it brings things back to the reality that um, that I need people in my life. And I can remember feeling like in, in, at, at, at the, my highest point of arrogance and ministry performer um, that I, I didn't need people, that I could do this on my own. And, and what it comes down to is that we do need people. That's the reason why we have a community of Christ. That's the reason why we have the body. You know, it all works together, and, and we can be a blessing to each other. We can be an encouragement to each other. So living in the light is absolutely crucial. That's awesome. Yeah, I love I love this topic because we've had, uh, I mean, 40 episodes, 40 you know plus episodes of interviews, you know, and I get to ask a wide variety of questions, and I actually don't think that anyone's ever ever brought this this up as a practical tip to doing ministry well but it is such a good practical tip to doing ministry well because probably the common denominator in all of our lives you know in all the various ministries we're doing is we're all probably struggling with an area of sin because we're human so that's so good i really appreciate you being vulnerable with that and uh yeah encouraging us to confess to one another uh the second thing you said was honor all people kind of unpack that for me what's that look like yeah, uh, I think it's First Peter two seventeen. Uh, Peter's talking about um, you know it's God's will that we submit, we submit to one another, and a part of and, and and he actually uses the term that it's for the Lord's sake. It's I think it's also kind of a forgotten um, part of the culture of of um, <coughs> of the church uh, of of Christ's church is honoring all people, and this is a complex subject. Um, so I'll try to condense it down, but. You know, I, I, to be honest with you, Danny Silk's book and um, uh, Culture of Honor has is, is made a big influence on this. It's, it's kind of opened up another, another part of honor that I didn't even know existed. Um, but, but, but at the base of it, it's, it's, about, it's about humility. It's, it's about recognizing that um, we're, we're not in a higher place than the, than the guy next to us. Um, when you honor all people, you, you look to them, you see their needs, you have compassion on them, and you look to meet their needs more than you look to meet your own. Um, we're, we're, we're naturally selfish people. I mean, it just comes easy and natural. I mean, for my little, my little kids, from the day they're born and they start talking, they, they're thinking about themselves and getting what they want. You know, it's just in us. And, but that doesn't mean it has to be who we are. We are children of God, and we, we have other children of God around us that we can reach out to. So honoring all people means submitting yourself to them it means loving them right where they're at it means not judging them in the sense of you looking down upon them because of their failures and their sins that you know if 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 we're to come in the light and live in the light as as we've been talking about it's going to require a culture of honoring people if if there's no one in your life that would receive you talking about your struggles then uh, it would be really hard for you to come in the light and to live in the light Um, but when when we develop a culture in our church bodies when we develop a culture of honoring people, what that really looks like, just to summarize, is to see uh, the giftings, the good things that God has placed there, and it's to, uh, you know, and, and bring those things out, to highlight those things, and pull those things to the surface. I think that's what it means to honor people. So that's on the positive side, but on the other side, the flip side, maybe, I don't know if you'd call it the negative side, but on the other side is where we see people are struggling. 
we don't we don't just go yeah we don't need to talk about that or you know it's 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 hard it's like conflict we don't want to do it we don't want to be a part of it and so when we we honor people by seeing their struggles and not running from it or not avoiding the conversation or avoiding the person altogether i mean if you think about it when you hear someone's in sexual sin you know maybe they're struggling with homosexuality it's very common in our culture now and so it creeps into the church too if you know someone struggling with homosexuality most people would just avoid them. Mm-hmm. It's just common. But but when we honor people, we run to those people. Mm-hmm. Because uh, whatever the s- struggle may be, um, uh, they need help. They need someone to love them and encourage them. They need someone to show the love of Christ to them. They need to experience the love of God. And um, and if they're really struggling and in a dark place, it's it, most people that I know, when they're really struggling, calling out to the Lord the way that they really could and need and ultimately where they're going to get what they need, um, that's the last thing they want to do is call out to the Lord. But when we go to them and we're a person standing in front of them, a representation of Christ, and we can honor them and not look down on them, but be there for them, listen to them, encourage them, and, you know, um, speak wisdom into their life, um, hold them accountable, walk with them through whatever they may be going through, Honoring people like that is, is, is significant. And, and, I, and, and again, I, I think not that I'm trying to come up with all kinds of forgotten disciplines, but I think it's a forgotten discipline. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, it's clearly in Scripture. He says honor all people. Um, it, it's, it's just very clear, but it's so vaguely mentioned in Scripture. Uh, but it's such a big, a big thing, a big part of, of, uh, of church life, if you will, or, or just being a part of the community of Christ. Um, you know, and another part of it is beyond, you know, struggles is, is there are so many people in the body of Christ. And as a pastor, you've got the opportunity to, to do this, to, to participate in this. And in and, and, and any particular body, all across America, all across the world for that matter, when you are put in a place, in a position of being an under-shepherd, um, you've got a group of people who are gathering and showing up every, every week. Um, and a part of honoring them is to see the giftings that God has put in them. And, and as a shepherd, I, I, I believe with everything in me that you are, are given um, discernment to begin to see those things. It doesn't mean you're going to see everything. The Lord's going to use other people as well. But you've been given an opportunity, uh, um, really a responsibility, to begin to look in their lives and to see how God's made them and to pull out those giftings and those, those beautiful God things in them that only God can make in them. And, and a part of honoring people um, from a pastoral perspective is to see those things, to go to those people, to point those things out to them, to encourage that in them, to highlight that and say, you know what, you're really gifted in teaching. I know you just taught that one time because you substituted for the guy that always teaches, but when you taught, it was good. Yeah. And because and often sometimes people in the body of Christ, they, they, they kind of feel like they're a good teacher. But they don't really get a lot of opportunities to teach, and so they just kind of convince themselves, well, maybe I'm just okay. Maybe I, you know, maybe I just pulled that one off. But when we begin to look at people's lives and see a variety of gifts, we honor people. We begin to develop a culture of honor where people can rise up and be what God has made them to be. And that's so big. Uh, it's so, so crucial. We, like I mentioned earlier, we have this mentality that a group of people show up to church and it's kind of like punching a clock. You show up, I've been to church, and some people are very genuine about that. But I think the way it could look in a culture of honor is that we show up to church, and, and, we, and it's a time for us to begin to, to look around the room and recognize 
how all the parts fit together and how the, and, you know, the scripture talks about that, how, you know, we all have a piece. Christ is the head and we, all of us as children of God are parts of his body. And so therefore we have a function. And unfortunately, a lot of people aren't functioning the way that they were designed to function. And I think the reason that is, is because we, we don't always have a culture of honor where not just the pastor, but everyone sees, you know, you, you've got this gifting. Hey. Have, you, have you thought about doing this? You know, or, hey, you're really good at teaching. I'd like to give you an opportunity to teach some more, you know, and really pulling those things out of people. I think that begins to go a long way in ministry. I think it begins to enhance the act of ministry. That, that is people being ministered to. Uh, people hearing about the Lord and being discipled. Um, I think it begins to expand the kingdom work uh, when everyone is honored and those giftings are brought to the surface and they're 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 tended to like a like a beautiful garden. You know, you you plant things in people. The Lord has planted them there, but you begin to water them and and fertilize them and grow them and bring them out and talk to them about it. Um, that that's the type of honor. That's what happens. And you know, I, I just I just think that's crucial. And another part is 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 honoring non-believers. Um, when he talks about honoring all people, um, one of the contexts there is he says to honor the king. And our in our context, that would be our president. But um, I think that it goes a long way to, to as, as believers, just just as example, like the the um, the marriage of a of a of two children of God is an example to the world of our relationship with Christ. It's 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 a beautiful imagery. Um, well, when you honor non-believers, when you don't judge them, or, or um, maybe I shouldn't say this, but when you don't walk down the street with picket signs with full of hate and a message of hate, you know, when you honor people right where they're at, and you don't, you know, they may be sinners, but that's their job description. A sinner sins, and they don't know the Lord, and so they're trapped in their sin. And uh, and but and I think it's easy to get up on this soapbox and to to begin to to combat all of these different categories and to feel like that it's our life's um, you know, task or life's mission to <coughs> to uh, to kind of fight against all of these social issues. And I'm not saying that we we don't need to participate in those those conversations about social issues, but it's it's so tempting to um, in that in that uh, arena to dishonor people mm-hmm. uh, when we judge them, when we shame them for their sin, and they are sinners. But when we shame them in it, which is the opposite of honor, when we when we shame them in it. We're not demonstrating the love of Christ. I mean, Christ sat with, with, with tax collectors, which were the most disdain. They were dis, the disdain of society. When people saw a tax collector coming, it was like seeing a criminal walk down the street to them. Uh, he, he, he had conversations with, with prostitutes, and, and you know, he, he associated with sinners, and he honored them every time. I mean, you look to the Gospels, and you see that Jesus honored sinners. Wow. And and so and I think that we've lost sight of that as the body of Christ that that we could really uh, have a compassion and a heart and a love for a world. Jesus has loved the world so much that He's willing to die for them. The Father loved the world so much that He gave His Son to die, and so they've displayed this great amount of love. He's 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 lavished it upon us, and the idea is is that our hearts are full of His love. He is in us. You know, the the Spirit of Christ is in us. And so what should be flowing out of us, if Christ is in us, is love, because God is love. And so when we look to a world of sinners, and we shame them, and we do the opposite of honoring them, we're not demonstrating Christ's likeness. We're not demonstrating that Christ is in us. But man, when we go to people, and we don't, you know, in the filth, in the mess of their situation, we don't look down upon them or or judge them and all those things that I've mentioned, 
it, it begins to be a powerful testimony. People want to talk to you when, when you relate to where you're at. And unfortunately, we, we've been a Christian nation, if you will, for so long that it's become kind of like a, like a club. Yeah. And so um, even if you uh, got saved at 20, you were probably around churches and knew all the lingo before. And so if someone is, is, is a, a drug addict or, or been in, in and out of prison and all these things, even if you became a Christian at 20, it's likely that you, can, you don't feel like you can even relate to that person. They've got tattoos all down their arms, and, and you've never even thought of getting a tattoo. And you know, you're, you're a businessman or whatever. Uh, we separate ourselves into stereotypes, and we begin to look at those people with disdain, with mm-hmm. like disgust. And, 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 and one of the things that, that has brought this to the surface for me over the years, and I don't remember when I started asking the Lord this, but at some point I began to say, Lord, Help me to, to see people the way you see them. Yeah. And it was a simple prayer, and I pray I ask the Lord often, but when the Lord truly, I mean, He says ask and it'll be given to you, and I asked the Lord, show me how you see people. I began to realize that there were people in my life that I didn't like, that I was disgusted by, that I was frustrated with, that I had no love for, and I couldn't muster up the love for them and the compassion and the ability to meet, meet their needs where they're at. But when I simply ask the Lord, Lord, how do you see that person? And can you change my vision of them to the way you see them? It's just miraculous. Truly a, a, uh, a, a secret little miracle of how the Lord can transform our way of thinking, a way of seeing people. Then we begin to look at people and see this is a person who needs the love of God in their life. Hmm. And that is what it means to honor a, a world full of sinners. And so I think it's, it's, it's crucial on, hmm. uh, on a few different avenues. Um, with with honoring people, it's just a, a big part. Um, it, the opposite of honoring people would be to to live in shame and to offer shame everywhere we go, um, and essentially just be kind of a, a people who are are proud and not humble, uh, who are not willing to submit. And, and and so, and I'll bring you back to the first thing I said in and and Peter, I think it was two seventeen. Where um, in that context, he says, "You do this for the Lord's sake." Hmm. And, and, and what that really means is, is that you're doing this because you are a representation of Christ. Mm. And so you're doing it for his sake. Not, you know, but, but what, what's great is that you reap what you sow. Uh, you, when you reap love into people's lives, it, it, you know, what comes out of that, or I'm sorry, when you sow love in people's lives, what comes out of that is the love of God begins to flow in their lives. It begins to flow through you. You're not living a heart that's full of bitterness and hate and resentment and all these things that kind of muster up. Um, it's it's just it just changes everything. So honoring people is 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 becoming big, but it's very really kind of a new thing for me, a new understanding uh, in the last couple of years. But I expect the Lord's going to teach me much more about it mm-hmm. over the next several years. So good, one and two have been so good, so good. <laughs> I'm excited that we're uh, we're we're on the same team and we're you know working towards these things. I'm excited to see these things walked out in the body of Christ. Uh, last thing, um, identifying yourself in Christ. We'll unpack that for us. What's that look like? Yeah, you know, I think I've I've hit on it just a little bit. Um, you know, for for many many years, I uh, I didn't identify um, as a child of God. I can remember feeling like well, you know, when you when you become a preacher at, at 13, um, it's it, I didn't realize how significant that was and how much of a pitfall that was. Um, it wasn't a bad thing that I started preaching. It was just that immediately from the time I got saved, I began to travel around to North Alabama. And I remember uh, for, for six months after getting saved, I didn't return to my home church. I got saved, 
month later started preaching for six months i was booked if you will my calendar as a 13 year old was booked wow. to go preach and so things started out like dynamite for me it was like this big explosion of opportunities of preaching and just sharing my testimony really um about what god had done in me can we and, get some of those tapes somewhere? Uh, yeah. Well, I used to have some of them. I don't know if, if I, I'd have to find a cassette player. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, so I went on this, this tour, if you will, of preaching. And I think that started something in me that I couldn't have seen then, but I, I look back now and see that my identity became a preacher. That's what I was. I was a preacher. And, you know, when, whenever, when, in throughout high school, you know, I wasn't the, the, the football player or, or, you know, the great baseball player, any of that. I played sports, but when people saw me, they said, yeah, there's Blake, the preacher. And so, and I, and I, you know, I was, I was humble at the time, I think in my heart, but in over the years, as I held on to that title, um, I began to deeply root my identity as a preacher. And, uh, you know, at first, as you first hear that, you may think, well, what's wrong with that? You know, it's, it's an honor to be a preacher. You're, um, and, and it is. But what, what resulted for me was I completely lost sight of what it means to be a child of God. I just, you know, I, I, I was not content unless ministry was going well. Mm-hmm. If I messed up on a sermon, then I would, I would experience great shame, great failure, because it was just my, my efforts, me spinning my wheels. Um, you know, my relationship with the Lord really kind of waned and got and grew weaker and weaker. I was talking to the Lord less. Um, I, you know, I was spending 20, 30 hours a week at one point uh, studying in order to preach two or three times um, a week. And I loved that, and it was good, but it was so on a high-minded level. It was yeah. like an academic exercise for me. And so my identity became in knowing Scripture well. My identity became in preaching what I had learned from Scripture well. Uh, my identity became in, in meeting with people and seeing their life be turned around so that I could see that people's lives were turned around. And when you begin to identify with those things, um, it's, it just really begins to, to mess with you. <laughs> and it did with me. And, and that's what I meant earlier when I said I was in a very lofty place. It was all about Blake. It was all about my glory. I didn't realize it at that time. thought I was genuine, but it was a false humility. And so to keep your identity in Christ, which is this third tip that we're talking about here, um, it means to, uh, you know, for me right now, personally, I'll say that it means that my relationship with the Lord, being a child of God, I'm content if that's all I have in this life. And, and I, you know, just a few years ago, I couldn't say that. Uh, I, if I didn't have a place to go minister vocationally, I felt all out of sorts. I felt hopeless and I felt like my life was going nowhere. If I had to work a full-time job and not do ministry to make me feel better about myself uh, because for so many ways as I was struggling through some sins and stuff like that and just struggles in life you know so many ways it was kind of like I was struggling and was trying to to overcome those things didn't know how but then I would go do ministry and it would kind of it was like a scale that would tip and in my mind it was evening out and truly it wasn't evening out so when we think like that, when we have this self-righteous mindset of this works-based mentality, when we begin, when we begin to think that what we do um, makes up for our sin, is it, it, you lose sight of your identity. And what really happens when you lose sight of your identity is that there's no power in your life. There's no power to overcome sin. There's no power to, to really be a witness to people or to speak truth to them. And, and you can do those things. And sometimes the Lord will get right through and He'll change people's lives. And He did that in, in, in ministry with me. But ultimately, when I laid my head on the pillow at night, I felt empty. I felt alone in ministry. 
Um, you know, I just, I just, I didn't feel like a loved kid by the Lord. You know, I did, and I just remember just a few years ago, um, you know, the Lord spoke to me and just said, you're, he said, you're my little boy. And man, I just broke because, because, you know, I'd never thought of myself as, you know, as God's little boy, hmm. you know, and I was a grown man, but, you know, for, for me to identify and recognize that, that I'm not just adopted into this family, that I'm his, hmm. you know, he made me, he put everything that I have in me, all the, any giftings or anything, he put that in me, he knows everything about me, his thoughts about me are just numerous, I mean, hmm. and, you know, he, 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 he thinks about me often, he knows everything about me, and what he really wants is for me to know him, he wants me, his little boy, to know him as, as, as my father, and, you know, and, and I just, I just didn't know that. I, I tried to, as a teenager, I had a lot of people in my life that tried to teach me how to be a believer, how to be a Christian, um, but I never really got what I've gotten in the last few years or so. Um, it, you know, it was about checking boxes. It was about, okay, um, read your Bible, pray, and uh, be sure to come to church every time the doors are open. That was, that was kind of the thing for me. It was, it was about a regiment of things. It was about a, t- a list of tasks. And so uh, there was a lot of talk about quiet times, you know, back then. And I, I kind of despise the term now because my time with the Lord doesn't look anything like a quiet time. It may be, a, you know, as I'm traveling with my job now, it may be that, that I'm talking to the Lord as I'm driving. But that conversation is a conversation. It's not prayer in the sense that we typically know it. You know, I just pray to something, to someone that's invisible and I'm not sure if he's hearing me and I don't hear from him. Uh, things are different now. The, having your identity in Christ or your identity as a son of God means that um, that you have a two-way conversation, mm-hmm. just like you would, just like you and I would, Jim, or like me and my wife would. You know, I, I, I talk with you. I talk with my wife. We get to know each other. And, uh, you know, the really interesting dynamic is, is the Lord already knows everything about you. <laughs> but And you may know a lot about him, but do you really know him? I mean, do you really know, the you know, the essence of him and you know we can we can read that god is good but to hear him say something to you that demonstrates his goodness Mm. is so much more powerful and that is your identity um just like a son who takes his or a father who takes his son fishing it's a special moment and and that that child may grow up and think man i remember when i used to go fishing with my dad Mm. those were special moments boy that was when i got my dad's full attention and we would talk about life and he would teach me about life and we would, you know, we would laugh, and you know, I remember we caught this fish, or we did that, or you know, those, those moments that you think about as a child and a, and a and a parent are so significant, and they and they change us. They 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 just completely like ripple into the rest of our lives, and 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 on the flip side, when bad things happen, they ripple into our lives, and it takes us years sometimes um, to to kind of recover or to find healing and to find uh, a, a, you know restoration. And so when you think about it in that context, you, you have the opportunity as a child of God. Your identity is in Him as a son of God, as a daughter of God. You have the opportunity just to be with Him. And when you're in ministry, that is one of the things that's very easy to forget. Hmm. If, if, if you're just a pastor or if you're just a counselor, um, if you're just a teacher, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever your title, the hat that you wear, what people identify you with when you walk into that church building, if that's all you are, in your heart, then 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 um, you're you're really heading down a, a, a really lonely road, uh, a, a road that leaves you without the power, and that is a relationship with the Lord. Without 
having him just continually, daily, pouring his love into you and encouraging you. Uh, and that's what it really means to, to identify with Christ. So I see so many people that, um, that the reason why they fall away from ministry or they fall away from, from what they believe or fall away from being a follower of Christ is because they've put their trust in other things. They've put their identity and they focused on things that, just, that, that, are, that are secondary um, to being a child of God. Hmm. These three are so good. <laughs> They're so good. I'm excited about them. I'm excited to see them. Yeah, walked out in the body of Christ. So thank you so much for sharing these. Uh, Blake, last question. What's been inspiring you lately? Is there any book or resource that you can share with our listeners that would be a good resource for them? Yeah, I, you know, I mentioned earlier The Culture of Honor by Danny Silk. I definitely recommend that one. It's really, really turned things um, <laughs> upside down for me and began to teach me a lot. So that one is a good one. Uh, another one, uh, and I forget the author at the moment, but um, um, it's... Uh, Now I forget the title as well, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's about your identity in Christ. I, I suppose you'll list it, but I'll have to remember. It. Um, but I can't recall the name of it at the moment. But so yeah, the, the, I'm reading those two books right now. Uh, and to be honest with you, I'm just trying to find as many opportunities as I can. I, you know, I just want to encourage you to listen to 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 teaching that you can uh, really benefit from. People that are teaching scripture, you know, and and so there's a few few guys in, in, in my life, you know, um, a lot a lot of guys from Bethel, uh, you know, some of those guys. That's some resources that I that I'm relying on, and and for me, uh, I know this may not fall in the list of books, but for me, I, I have to, I'm constantly trying to add to a, a worship list on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, if I you know I have a lot of times of driving my car, and so I encourage you to find worship music that speaks to you, that begins to pull out uh, things in you that you need to to pour out to the Lord mm. you, know, you just need to spill it out and so I'm always adding to that list trying to find some new gem mm. that I can just get along with the Lord and just sing it to him yeah. and I think worship is a, is a huge part that's, so that's really inspiring to me I think it does fit here because you know, worship should inspire us mm. it should be something that, that, that continually draws us um, uh, closer to the Lord so I think the, the book is called Overcoming Darkness or something like that it's, it's your, about your identity in Christ but Cool. I'll, I'll look, look it up. up. I'll look it up afterwards. But um, uh, top three worship songs right now <laughs> and artists. Okay. Um, yeah, they'll probably all be Bethel guys. But of course, you know, I, I really love um, House Fires, and so uh, this love is is a song that's just that I've just been soaking in for about six months. Um, uh, of all the House Fires, uh, House Fires three um, songs on that album, um, that one's probably one that people wouldn't put on their top list but it's been so powerful it's a spontaneous worship for the most part mm-hmm. but um but learning that how much the lord loves me the lord has shown me that by soaking in that song a lot so i encourage you to listen to this love um by house fires three uh i don't know a second one would be draw near which is um matt matt stinton i think it is um and that's a, it's a bethel worship song um it, that one's been <laughs> huge for me um lately um, another one would probably be um, Pieces um, by St- Stephanie Gretzinger. Um, and so that, that one, just, just the idea that, that the Lord's been kind of washing over me, that he just doesn't give himself in pieces. He gives us all of himself. He, just, he, he has literally laid all of his cards on the table. He's just poured his love completely into us. He doesn't hold back. He's, 
he's wasteful in the sense that he gives us all of himself mm-hmm. and he just pours it out on us so he doesn't give his heart in pieces it's not it's not a love that's fractured it's not a love that's kind of broken up it's a love that's full and whole and beautiful and so that that song's been a big deal for me that's awesome so. that's awesome Blake, I really appreciate your time doing this interview. It was really good stuff. I'm excited to kind of just mull over those three practical tips and <laughs> just talk about you, talk about them with you more sure. um, in the future as well. So could you just close us out by praying for our listeners? Sure, sure. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for, for loving us so much. Thank you that you that you have poured yourself completely into us. Uh, you, you've given us You've given us everything. You've given us your son. You've you've overcome this world, and Jesus and Jesus made that clear. And so I just pray that you'd make yourself known to to those that are listening. That that um, as we discuss, Lord, you know everything about us. You know us so well, but we often just lose sight of who you are, and we're convinced that you're something less than good and faithful. So, Lord, reveal yourself to to these that are listening. Reveal these things to us, Lord. Help us to to live a life that that is pleasing to you and 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 a life that is it's rich and satisfying thank you lord that you that you really want us to have a life that where we we can hear you or we can have conversation with you and so i just pray that you draw that out of us that we would just be drawn to just talk with you and to be with you and to 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 look beyond ourselves lord help us to to look and see the needs around us help us to see people right where they're at, just the way you see them. And help us to, uh, to, to just step out with boldness, with courage, to just love these people that are in our lives because it's a privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thank you so much for being on the show. If you've enjoyed this episode of Doing Ministry Well, you can help us out by rating, commenting, and subscribing on iTunes and sharing this podcast with your friends. Check out the podcast notes to find out more about today's guests and other resources. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions on who we should interview next, contact us at doingministrywell.com. If you'd like to find out more about me, your host, visit my blog at jimjessbaker.com. That's jimjess as in Jessica, baker.com.